Welcome to Permitted with Conditions. I'm David Toyer, President of Toyer Strategic Advisors. Co-hosting with me today is Samuel Mainwaring, uh, who is our intern. Uh, we've got a very special guest today, uh, Joe Tovar. And I want to introduce him, but before I get to that and his incredible background and we get a chance to talk about his history of planning, I do want to turn it over to Sam and let Sam kind of cover uh, a couple of the things we, we like to get out of the way up front in the, the program. Sam. Yeah, thanks, David. Welcome, everyone. Again, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you're new to the podcast, make sure to subscribe to it on Substack, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And maybe while you're at it, even throw us a follow on social media. If you hear something today that you have a question about, feel free to drop a question in the comments. Thank you, Sam. Now, it is a real honor here uh, today on our show to welcome uh, our guest, Joe Tovar, to the studio. Uh, Joe has had a storied career as a city planner, planning director, consultant, member of the affiliate faculty of the University of Washington and, and much more. Uh, but for me, what stands out the most is he's one of our founding fathers of the Washington's Growth Management Act uh, and a former member of the Growth Management Hearings Board during the early days after the Growth Management Act was adopted. And as far as my career and the things that I've worked on, obviously, as policy advocacy uh, and his service uh, on various uh, boards and commissions uh, and, and his overall engagement in the state of Washington is, is obviously uh, played a lot into my career and the and projects that I've had the opportunity to work on. So, Joe, thank you for uh, for joining us here on the podcast. Thank you for the kind words, uh, David and Sam. Happy to be here. So, Joe, we just recently released a couple episodes covering GMA 101, you know, a real basic overview of the goals and what it means for cities, counties, and the public. You've obviously got a unique background in having helped draft the GMA back in 1989. Could you describe the political and social landscape that existed back then and maybe some factors that sparked the creation of the GMA? Well, a lot has been written about this, and I've spoken quite a bit about this, so some of this is redundant. Pardon me. I think the overarching answer to this question about why did this happen in 1990 is that a lot of growth was happening in the 80s. In the beginning of the decade, the population of the state was about 4 million people. By the end of the 80s, the population had increased to 4.8 million, which is about a 15% growth rate. That's a pretty robust rate of growth, and people noticed not just the growth, but the change. For re reference, today's population of the state is close to 8 million, so growth is not abated. It is continuing. In 1990, virtually everyone uh, agreed the system that we had in place was not working. There was a lot of unhappiness with everything from how decisions were made, how governance was structured, what was happening on the ground that people could see. There was a lot of concern by cities that counties were making decisions that really did not acknowledge the proper role of cities. Counties were, I think, unhappy that cities were pretending to have more knowledge about a broader area and a region than any city, individual city could have. So there was a lot of mistrust, a lot of competition between cities, counties, and special districts, partly amplified by the tax system that we have in the state of Washington, which meant cities and counties frequently were competing for turf, for land use control, for revenue. So it was not helped when people were talking about land becoming city that had been unincorporated county previously because it had serious financial consequences for counties because of the way that counties are so reliant upon property tax. So there were a lot of factors that led to disagreements about who should be doing what. Some of this was documented, actually, in a report done in 1988. The legislature uh, commissioned a report that was called the Quiet Crisis in Local Governance, and they really spent some time documenting the lack of clarity about a county role versus a city role versus a special district role. They really documented this confusion, this competition and conflict that existed. So there was not a lot of coordination happening 
It was case by case. Some places did a good job of that. Most places did not. So one of the things that was uh, identified as a key issue to be addressed in any reform to state law by that report in 1988 was to clarify what is the appropriate role of our county? What is the appropriate role of a city? What is the appropriate role of special districts? And how do we move toward those more clarified roles? I'll talk a little bit later about one of the key changes that GMA achieved was that greater role clarity. People were also concerned about loss of farmland, loss of uh, environmentally critical areas, loss of forest lands, a lot of concern about uh, transportation impacts, traffic congestion, feeling of a lack of accountability by a lot of people that, hey, we, uh, we're, we're affected by what happens in our community, but in the case of unincorporated areas especially, our elected official might be representing 50 or 100,000 people, as opposed to a city council person who might represent five or 10,000 people. So there was a strong sense of disconnection between many people, especially in the unincorporated urban areas, for their local government decision makers. One key factor identified again in that 1988 report was that as of the late 80s, over half of the people in the state of Washington, half of those 4 million people, did not live in a city. They lived in other counties. Uh, one of the things that I think I'll talk a bit about later, the major accomplishment of the GMA, as a function of that role clarity being in the statute, a lot of people said, hey, if we really want to have more control, more accountable, direct control over what can and can't happen in our community, we need to incorporate. So since 1990, there have been 14 cities incorporated. There have been dozens of annexations, some large some small. The population of the state of Washington now is about 65% of those folks live in cities. In King County, it's over 85% of people in the county of King live in cities. So cityhood is one of the major outcomes of this whole discussion about governance, about roles, about what people should expect counties to do, or what cities should be expected to do, and then what special districts, which is a more complicated question, should be expected to do. So bottom line, Everyone was unhappy with the process. The builders were unhappy. Environmentalists were unhappy. Cities and counties were unhappy. The general population was unhappy. It was sort of a perfect political storm, if you will, or planets lining up, depending on what kind of metaphor you want to use, that said, this is the time for major change. So those are the factors that I think led to the adoption of the Growth Management Act. One thing I wanted to do at this point was to pull up a slide that I've used a couple of times to illustrate to people. Now, what I've tried to do with this slide is to explain how did we get to where we are from where we were. And I'm going back even to the 70s about where does state law that governs planning and land use, cities and counties, special districts, where did it all come from? Well, it's, this is a very complicated subject. And this is a like any graphic, it's a simplification of what really happened. But this chronology, I think, does a pretty good job of saying, where were we in the 80s? Well, we were relying upon laws that have been adopted before the 80s. The most prominent ones of which were in the 1970s, the State Environmental Policy Act, Shoreline Management Act, what I kind of facetiously refer to as the Age of Aquarius. Those of you who are old enough to remember, the Age of Aquarius was Earth Day 1971, I believe, April of 71. Strong emphasis on environmental protection. We've got to protect Mother Earth. We've got to be careful that whatever development occurs is carefully reviewed, scrutinized, and in the case of SEPA, mitigations identified, alternatives considered. So very incremental, case-by-case, -case, reactive way of looking at how do we deal with growth and impacts of growth. Shoreline Management Act had more of a comprehensive approach, but it only dealt with the first 200 feet of land behind the waters of the state. So it was much more like a comprehensive, proactive uh, system, but it only applied to a tiny fraction of the total land area of the state. Coming up into the late 80s, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of concerns, a lot of unhappiness, people saying SEPA, as good as it was, was really the only tool really to deal with a lot of these issues. In the early 90s, 
all these folks, builders, realtors, cities, counties, on and on said, we need a new law. Growth Management Act was adopted first in 1990 by House Bill 2929. In 1990, at the end of the year, there actually was a, an initiative put on the ballot by environmental, environmental community saying that doesn't go far enough. We need to throw out the GMA and we need to have a new system. So Initiative 547 said, let's import something more like an Oregon system. Actually, it was more top down even than the Oregon system. Uh, it was defeated by voters uh, very, very handily. Then in early 1991, the legislature came back and finished GMA with House Bill 1025, part two of the GMA, which basically was the enforcement piece, creating, among other things, the growth management hearings boards process. So that was the beginning of what I'm calling GMA 1.0, the era of here's the big, big fix to GMA. Now, since then, there were many, many uh, bills proposed amending the GMA, everything from tiny fixes to repealing the entire GMA. So this isn't obviously all of the bills that were proposed and discussed and all the actions that were considered. But the big ones I wanted to flag are in 1995, there was a movement to reform how permits were processed and how appeals were handled. So the Regulatory Reform Act uh, Acts of 1995 created two new statutes, 3670B and 3670C, again, intending to make the regulatory system more correspond to the intent of what the Growth Management Act was trying to achieve. Predictability, timeliness in the permit process. Uh, so it did a number of other things, but it was the first really uh, big attempt to make things work better. 2006, there was a property rights initiative on the ballot that would have said, if local government wants to regulate your property, they have to either pay you for the loss of value that that regulation would inflict upon your property use or waive the regulation. This was something that actually followed on an initiative in Oregon. Down in Oregon, they had something called Measure 37, which actually passed. And it created lots of problems for local governments in Oregon. I think we learned a lesson in this state that re regulations need to be fairer. They need to not go across certain constitutional boundaries. But just to say anything that affects the value of property has to be compensated was a non-starter. Uh, again, that property rights initiative, 933, was rejected was what I call environmental pushback. In 2009, there was a bill passed by the legislature to prohibit the expansion of urban growth areas into river floodplains. I mean, those of you in Snohomish County may remember this issue. This was the Seligamish River Valley, where there was a controversy about whether a city could annex land in the river valley and convert it to commercial use. Long story, a little bit longer, uh, that ultimately worked its way all up to the Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court at the time said, for various reasons, yes, you can do that. This led to pushback by the legislature in 2009 saying, well, hold on now. We don't want urban growth areas to extend into river floodplains. Now, a lot of urban growth areas are already in river floodplains. Most of Redmond is an example is in a floodplain. But why make it worse? So House Bill 1967 passed that said, no more. If you're going to have an urban growth area expansion, one place it cannot be is in the floodplain of a, a river, at least as to Western Washington. In subsequent years, there were other bills introduced, some passed. I think the key thing that happened is that in 2016, 70 bills were introduced to amend the GMA. None of them passed. So again, we reached the point of uh, inflection in all of this where people are saying, wait a minute, there's a lot of unhappiness. There's a lot of bills, a lot of change that different people want to see. The legislature then turned to uh, the Ruckel South Center a joint institute of UW and WSU, and asked the question, could you design a process that would be more collaborative, more comprehensive, look at all these issues, take enough time to come up with what you think, or what we collectively think all these changes should look like, as opposed to piece by piece, bill by bill, interest by interest. So I'll talk more about the, the Ruckelshaus process a little bit later in the conversation, but that then led to 
the legislature funding three phases of the process, leading to a number of changes to state law, which we'll talk about more a bit later in the interview. What I call GMA 2.0 started, frankly, in 2021, with the legislature starting to make many changes to the way they did business, the kind of emphasis they had on how they would go about reform to state law, including not just the GMA, but SEPA and Shorelines and other uh, institutions and policies. So this is the long and winding road from 1971 to today. And I'll talk more about some of these details uh, with further questions we get into today. Awesome. Well, appreciate that, Joe. That's a, it's a lot of history. And as you've experienced, obviously, we've been at growth management for maybe a lot longer than people realize. Thank you all so much for watching this episode. And make sure you stay tuned for more as we have a whole lot more content here in the works. Keep an eye out for the next episode with Joe Tovar here on Permitted with Conditions. Until next time.